0: I hope you brought a Bible with you today. I did. Aren't you glad? You can go in some churches. they don't use them very much. Um, that's not a good thing. So I appreciate those who did some scripture reading earlier and uh, the music. I enjoyed all the songs, and uh, we're going to start this morning in Genesis 11. This morning we're going to look at Abraham. A man of faith who is following God. You say, well, why would I say is following God? Because, I mean, he lived a few years ago, right? Well, he still is following God today. But we're looking at it from the literary perspective. We're going to go back into Abraham's life, and we're going to look at real-time events that happened in his life. So in that moment, he is following God, and we're going to be encouraged and strengthened in our faith. If you have your Bible, did I tell you to open your Bible? Oh, Well, you should. An open Bible is the best kind. And what's the best color for a Bible? Red. Every Bible should be red regularly. Okay, Genesis chapter 11. Genesis 11. I have never seen a red Bible. Those of you who are... Visiting, I am colorblind, so I don't know what red looks like, so. All right, Genesis chapter 27, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 27, Genesis 11, 27. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begat Lot, and Haran died before his father Terah in the land of of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. Uh, my brother died before either of my parents. My mom uh, followed him a few years later, but it's been almost 10 years since my older brother died. It's so weird to be so much older than he was. That's how it was for Haran. He died young. No explanation of why. Verse 29, Abram and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milka, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarah was barren and had no children. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai his daughter's-in-law, and his son's wife, son Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, I don't know if the city was Haran, like, you know, there's a city called Denver, and so if your son Denver dies, you move to Denver. I think they moved there and created the city in name of the brother of the son who died. But the Bible doesn't say. Now, Abram is one of the most unique characters in the world, because all three of the major Western religions look back to Abraham. Abraham is the father of Israel that brought forth the Jewish faith or Judaism. Abraham is the father of Ishmael, the Arabic countries that brought forth Islam. And Christians look back at Abraham as a great patriarch of our faith who helped point the way to God. So all three of the major Western faiths look back to Abraham. But you might have trouble placing Abraham. Where does he fit within human history? Well, uh, human history actually began when? Yeah, but wh- what day of the week? The sixth day. Clace Ricosi gets a gold star. You've got to buy her lunch, Jim. <laughs> uh, the sixth day. That's when human history began. Uh, there was already God in history and eternity past. There were angels that God created. It doesn't specifically say, but probably day one when he created the heaven and the earth, he created the angels. And then he started creating life. And then he created humanity. And after the sixth day, when man was on the earth, God said, it is very good. Now, So, human history began when Adam and Eve were introduced in the Garden of Eden in a perfectly mature world. Soon thereafter, they sinned. and got sent away from the Garden. And then Cain and Abel were born. And Abel died violently at the hand of his brother Cain. And then Seth was born. And the scriptures record that in the days of Seth, men began to call on the name of the Lord and really follow the Lord. And Seth's great great-grandson was named Enoch, not to be confused with Cain's son Enoch. Cain's son Enoch was on the wild side of the family. Uh, Seth's great-great-grandson Enoch was a godly man. In fact, he was so godly, the scriptures record that he walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. God said, Enoch, come on up to heaven, and took him home. I'm hoping he does that with me, too, that the other method of getting to heaven isn't as fun. Uh, So, Uh, Enoch's son, Methuselah, what do we know about him? One old dude. The oldest man recorded in scripture, 969 years. If Mr. Weber were here tonight, I'd say he was even older than Dan Weber. Wow, Uh, he'll be here tonight, Lord willing. But Methuselah, 969 years. There might have been one who lived older, but there's no biblical or historical record of it. And then Methuselah had a grandson named Noah. You know anything about that guy? Yeah, so we're less than 2,000 years into human history, and Noah's here, and we're going to have a flood. Mankind went from two perfect people in a perfect world onto where people are always doing what's wrong, and every imagination of their heart is evil continually. Sounds kind of like our day, doesn't it? That's why Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be. It is again in the days, as it was in the days of Noah. And uh, Noah lived to be 950 years old. He lived 350 years after the flood. But after the flood, people started living shorter and shorter lives. So that uh, a few generations later, Peleg lived 239 years. He was alive at the time of the Tower of Babel. Uh, Babel, when uh, God confounded the languages and people split apart. And Peleg's great, great grandson was Terah, father to Abraham. See, by Abraham's day, a very old man was 175 years old. After the flood, people just lived shorter and shorter and shorter. That's probably why dinosaurs were so huge before the flood. Reptiles keep getting bigger as they get older. So a reptile in our culture, in our day, a crocodile that lives to be 30 years old, they found one in the New York City sewer system that was 30 feet long. How would you like to be that sewage worker? And 30 feet long, because they get as they get older they get longer so you got a dinosaur that's this little thing and then he grows for 900 years you could have a pretty massive creature and that's probably why after the flood they didn't live to be that big because they died off in the flood and the ones that were on the ark uh, everything nobody lived as long after that In fact, just a few generations later, uh, Abraham's grandson Jacob, over a hundred, was considered really old. So it was more like our day. Uh, According to biblical history, Noah was still alive after the Tower of Babel. Noah was still alive when Abram was born about 4,000 years ago. Have you thought about that? God judged the earth in Noah's day. There was a worldwide flood. That's why we find uh, water-based life skeletons and fossils on top of snow-covered mountains because there was a worldwide flood. And Noah lived to see his his offspring, his grandkids and his great-grandkids walk away from God. Some of you have endured that, seeing children and grandchildren make decisions that violate Scripture and turn them away from God. Well, Noah saw that for generation after generation after generation. He lived through the flood and the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel was likely less than 200 years after the flood. He lived another 350 years after the flood. Another 200 years later, Abram was called out of Ur because mankind was so corrupt that again they were not worshiping the one true God. So the flood, a couple hundred years, the Tower of Babel, a couple hundred years, Abram, and people just keep straying away from the Lord. Noah's son Shem was still alive when Abram was born. I said Noah was, but it was Noah's son Shem that was alive when Abram was born. So uh, Noah saw uh, the the whole world stray away, and and Shem was alive when Abraham was called out of Ur. So the setting, the, the sun on the ark is still alive when Noah's called out of Ur, and at that point, most people are not following the Lord. That's the setting we have here. Now, in chapter 11 and verse 31, who took Abraham, who led Abraham out of Ur? Terah, his dad. Okay, now turn over to chapter 15. Chapter 15 and verse number 7 who led Noah, I'm sorry, Abram out of Ur? The Lord. Uh, Chapter 15, verse 7, God saying to Abram, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. Now, some people try to make a big deal out of that. The Bible's wrong. It says Terah, it says God. It's all mixed up. It's all convoluted. It doesn't make sense. It makes perfect sense. How many of you think that your life has been influenced by your parents? Raise your hand. Man, I moved all over with my dad. Didn't have any choice in the matter, you know. Uh, packed up and moved every couple of years. He was in the Air Force. They reassigned him. There we went. Didn't matter if we liked the house, the school, the girl next door. Didn't matter. Pack up and move. And so God uses your relationship with your parents to shape your life. But not only that it's very likely that God specifically spoke to Abraham and Ur and called him out, and Terah and all the family that could went with him. That's not unusual. Jim and Jerry Reeves are not here today. Uh, They are in California. Somebody, a friend called them and said, look, we had a week planned. We can't go. It's already prepaid. Could you use a free hotel for a week? And Jim said, hmm, let me think and pray about it. Jim said, yeah, and they packed up and they're gone. They're out in California. But Jim and Jerry moved to Arizona. They were the first ones in their family to move to Arizona. Well, pretty soon, both of his brothers had moved to Arizona and family, and there's all kinds of reeves all over Arizona now. It's kind of like those foreign plants that come in and take over. (laughs) Um, I hope he listens to this. Uh, but so Abram and, and the Terah and, and family, they went up to Haran, which is the northern area above Canaan, above what is now uh, Israel. So it, we would, it would be in Syria or um, Turkey. Uh, it'd be in that area uh, where they went. So back to Genesis chapter 12. We were finished chapter 11. Look in chapter 12. Oh, you know what? Keep your finger in 12 and look back at 15. I, I, I just wanted to point this out. People get weird ideas about... I've heard preachers say, well, in the Old Testament, you got saved by works. But in the New Testament, praise God, we're saved by grace. Well, people got saved the same way, believing and trusting in the Lord. Look in chapter 15, verse number 6. Abram believed in the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him for righteousness. That's Genesis 15, 6. He believed God's promises, and God counted it to him for righteousness. Salvation has always been by believing and trusting the Lord. And we have more revelation than Abram had, but he believed God the same way we do. Trusting and believing the Lord. In fact, God spoke to people in that day, spoke verbally to people, sometimes through angels, sometimes directly, sometimes in a, what's called a theophany or a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ before the birth in Bethlehem or the conception there in Nazareth. Uh, Jesus uh, would come in the Old Testament. He showed up with uh, Joshua as the captain of the Lord of, Ho- of the Lord's host. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, there are times when God spoke directly to people as God did with Adam and Eve and God did with Abraham. But now we have uh, God's word that we can take and we can read. And so we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside us and we have the word of God speaking to us. Abraham just had to listen to the Lord and God spoke to him. So uh, Abraham is a man of faith, A man of faith following God. He is a man of faith because he trusts in the Lord. Chapter 15, verse 6. He believed the Lord and God counted it to him for righteousness. And he is a man of faith because he trusted the Lord. Uh, Chapter 12, verse number 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So, first of all, Abram's a man of faith because why? He believed, he trusted in the Lord. Secondly, he is a man of faith because he listened to the Lord. All right, honest confession here, ladies. How many of you think men are really good at listening? Raise your hand. Is it just me? <laughs> I, I don't think I see a single hand raised. Shocker! I was really expecting one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she'll always say, you listen great when you want to. I'm not sure what she means. But Abraham was a man of faith because he listened to the Lord. We have the very word of God. Are you reading it? You have the Holy Spirit of God inside you. Are you listening to him? Abraham was listening to the Lord. And God spoke directly to certain people in the Old Testament, very few. And the Holy Spirit came upon certain people in the Old Testament, again, very few. So for most of the people throughout all of the Old Testament, let's say this room is is the congregation of all the people who lived through the Old Testament, then uh, the average, numerical average, probability of God speaking to you would be zero, There might be one person in this room that God spoke to, and nobody else. And so most of the people learned by listening to the one God spoke to. see, now you can read it on your own. You can read the Word of God on your own. You have the Holy Spirit of God inside you. You don't have to come to church to find out that a guy named Abraham was a man of faith. You can read it in your Bible. You can listen to the Holy Spirit. You can do it on your own. Now, there's a reason we come together as a church. Christ commanded it. He made it a habit of his life to go to gather together with other believers. It's a good thing. We fellowship with one another. We're encouraged in the word. But listen, you are not limited to listening to God only when you're in church. I'm not limited to listening to God only when I I see his physical presence with me. I can listen to God all the time through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God, and so can you. Now, for clarity's sake, I say Abram and I say Abraham. He's known by both. His birth name was Abram, but then God changed his name to Abraham. And so we'll see that a little bit later. But if I say Abraham or Abram, it's the same guy. We now have the opportunity to listen to God every single day. Abraham didn't have that opportunity, but he listened to God and so can we. Now, after he listens to God, what do you think is the next step of being a man of faith? You listen to God and then what? Obey. Wow. We kind of expect that, parents to kids giving instruction. You give the instruction. If they really listened, you're anticipating they will obey. That's exactly what happens. Verse 4. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran and they went forth into the land of Canaan and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land in the place of Sikkim and the place of Morah. This, this Bible's all, I should have brought my other one. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there he built an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence into a mountain in the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So Abram is a man of faith because he obeys the Lord. Now, Megan was sharing earlier about Anna, and it is fun to watch. She just, with great delight, in fact, one Sunday night we were doing special stuff and we didn't have an offering, and we told people, you can give it to Gary afterward, and she sat through most of the service looking just a little pouty, and then after the service, Megan said she could go give it to him, and she ran with great joy and gave it to Gary, and he didn't put it in his pocket, <laughs> just, just for clarification. He, he put it in at the office. Do you give with joy? When God says, do not lie, that he hates lying lips, that he hates a false witness, are you honest, painfully so? We are so natural to excuse ourselves. So we have even invented a term called a little white lie. Did you know there is no record in the Bible of a little white lie? In the Bible, there's lying and truth, and there's no gray area in between. Are you obeying what God told you to do? God hasn't told me to move out of Haran and move away from my family and and go serve him. That's what he told Abraham to do, Abram. But what is he telling you to do? Are you listening to God? Are you obeying what he says in his word? Are you following how he leads through his spirit? Abram is a man of faith because he trusts in the Lord because he listened to the Lord, because he obeyed the Lord. And he's a man of faith because he worshiped the Lord. Chapter 12, verse 8. He built an altar. And he called upon the name of the Lord. (laughs) Now, I've been in church services where they call this part at the front the altar. In fact, some churches have a prayer bench there. I was in a church like that. Kathy and I were, and uh, we had an evangelist speaking, and people came forward to, to be saved. And at one point, I was dealing with a couple boys over here. My wife's dealing with a couple. My dad's dealing with them over there. My mom's dealing with And I stood up from just helping two boys look in Scripture and see how to know the Lord. And they prayed and trusted Christ as their Savior. And I look over. There's my wife doing the same thing. There's my mom doing the same thing. There's my dad doing the same thing. It was an amazing experience. But they call that the all altar. Now, it's not necessarily wrong to call it the altar, but the the reason why it's called the altar is not because we use it as an altar. It's called the altar because the way some churches with what's called liturgical practices, this is the altar and the only one who can go beyond the altar is who? The priest. Because only the priest can go into that Holy of Holies place. That's Old Testament. You know, in the New Testament, there's not a mention of a priest except the priests who trust Christ as Savior and come out of Judaism or the priests who reject Christ. In the church, you read the doctrine in the church and you read all of the letters written by Paul and Peter and John and Jude and James And none of them talk about priests in church. Talks about pastor who is the pastor, the elder, the bishop, the senior pastor would be the bishop. Pastors and elders as, as the preaching, teaching, leading people in the church. And not the priest. Because when Christ died on the cross, the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place ripped from top To bottom, it ripped open and everyone could now see into the holy place and the most holy place. And God has made us believer priests. So when we come to church, we don't have to come and present our gift at the altar. Some churches do that. Kathy was in a church where they had the offering up right by... We don't really have an organ, but they had an organ. And so they had the offering right by the organ. And everybody in the whole church, they came around and they dropped their money. And she was just visiting. Uh, she was part of a special singing group that was brought in uh, for the occasion. And uh, I wasn't part of that group because it was only people who could sing. And so she they came across, and they put their money in, and they went back. And then the organist kind of leaned over and looked in the box and said, not enough. Come again. And everybody got up and came and brought more. <laughs> I wonder how many times they did that on special needs. You know, we're doing a roof uh, special offering for our roof repair. And uh, okay, we're going to do the offering five times today. Um, it's a lot easier. Just put it in once and you give as God leads on your heart. And collectively we can meet the needs. But the altar, the reason why it's called an altar came out of church tradition that was not biblically centered in the New Testament. It's not bad to call it an altar. In fact, we can use it as an altar. If we come here and we get on our knees before God and we humble ourselves before Him, then it can be an altar. But you know, you, your bed can be an altar. If you get down before God and you're praying before God and you're calling out to Him, See, you're supposed to worship God everywhere. There are church things going on in churches about church music. It's called the worship wars. That has nothing to do with worship. Worship is all about God. Worship is not about the music you like or don't like. Worship is about Him and focusing on Him and turning your attention to Him. And thinking about him and praying to him. And that's what Abram does, or Abram, that's what he does here. He prays to God, and he calls out to the Lord, and, and he worships the Lord. And we're supposed to be doing that. Now, most of the time when you pray, it's better, easier for you to focus if you close your eyes and really think about God. It's kind of, you know, you have to teach kids that, right? And then one of them will always say, um, Johnny had his eyes open. Well, how did you know they were open? <gasps> um. but, but you can pray while you're driving your car. If you're driving, do not close your eyes. <laughs> pray with your eyes open. You can pray while skydiving. In fact, I'm pretty sure some of you would if somebody <laughs> pushed you out of a plane. You'd be praying intensely. You can pray... Uh, while you're at work. You can pray in the middle of a meeting. You can pray when you're witnessing to somebody and ask the Holy Spirit to help you use verses that help this person see who Jesus is and their need for Jesus. You can pray all the time, everywhere. In fact, Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. He said, pray without ceasing. Just be in the continual conversation with the Lord God. Talk to Him all day long. And, and when you come to church, we gather together in church. This is not the place where we worship God. This is the place where we worship God together. But every place you're supposed to worship God. Everywhere you go, you are to be the temple of the living God. Not the Old Testament temple, not the gospel temple temple, Gospels, temple in the first four books of the New Testament. Not that temple in Jerusalem, but your body houses the Holy Spirit of God, and everywhere you go is holy ground, and everything you do is supposed to be holy behavior. You're worshiping God as you go about your life. And then there's times when we gather together and we worship Him together because that strengthens us, that encourages us, that builds us up, uh, that helps us. And you can worship Him more effectively on your own out there when you've been in here together. It makes it easier out there. In fact, sometimes I miss a church service and I feel like I've missed several weeks. I only missed one, but I count on this so much, connecting together. Abraham is a man of faith. What's the first reason? He believed. He trusted the Lord. Secondly, he listened to the Lord. Thirdly, he obeyed. Fourth, he worshiped. Fifth, oh, you listening? Abraham is a man of faith because he responds to the Lord by faith. Turn over to chapter 17. He responds to the Lord by faith chapter 17 how old is Abram 90 years old at the beginning of the chapter when Abram was 90 years old and nine 99 years old that's ancient for some of us my grandpa was 99 The Lord appeared to Abram and he said, I am the almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. This just means blameless. You cannot live sinlessly perfectly, but you can continually correct your life back. So that if Abraham did something wrong, he would admit it. He wouldn't cover it up. He would ask forgiveness and he would press on. You can't absolutely perfectly live sin free. I'm told that by police officers, as they follow cars, that they could pull anybody over. That nobody drives perfectly right. They could pull anybody over. But they're looking for the people who don't keep correcting themselves back. That's what they're looking for. And those are the ones they pull over. They're reckless or they're not correcting themselves back. So Abraham's not perfect in the sense of absolute perfection like God. But he's blameless before God because he's constantly correcting his life back. And then God said, I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee excitingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be Abram. The name Abram means exalted father. But uh, thy name shall be Abraham, or father of a great multitude. Father of a great multitude. Multitude, he said, your name's not going to be Abram anymore, but now you're going to be Abraham. For I have made a father of many, na- for a father of many nations have I made thee. Verse six. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. Verse seven. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their everlasting. Generations for an, I'm sorry, in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So uh, Abram is a man of faith because he responds to the Lord by faith. Now, if you jump down to verse 15, God said to Abram, As for Sarai, thy wife. Now, Sarai means uh, my princess. How many of you have a, a little princess at your house? Uh, Sarah, my princess. Thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah. And Sarah means mother of nations. So Abram and Sarai become Abraham and Sarah focusing on uh, the the way God was going to bless through many nations. Now, uh, Abram doesn't doesn't believe God immediately here. Uh, There's a moment that Abram acts very human because he is. In verse 16, God said, I will bless Sarah and will give thee a son also of her. I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said, now, in his heart. He's not saying this out loud. This is on the inside. Shall a child be born unto him that is 100 years old? He's 99 now. By the time the kid's born, he'd be 100 Shall Sarah, that is 90 years old, bear? So on the inside, he's like, oh, this is never gonna happen. So Abraham says unto God in verse 18, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. At first he cannot believe God, and he laughs on the inside. Verse 19, and God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son, thou shalt call his name Isaac. Uh, what does Isaac mean? laughter. (laughs) Abram laughed on the inside. God said, you're going to have a son named laughter. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard thee. I, will, I have blessed thee and I will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget and I will make him a great nation. All of the nations that surround the nation of Israel are descendants of Ishmael. And then he talks about establishing his covenant with them. Now, uh, we skipped over the verses where God said, my covenant is going to be designated by circumcision. And that's going to dif- differentiate the man of Abraham from all the other men on the planet. A new thing that God is initiating, and God's going to make it happen. And so uh, after God corrected Abram, after his little bit of laughter and saying, uh, may Ishmael, my son, follow thee. Ishmael was his son from... Hagar, uh, in their culture, if a lady could not have a son and she had a handmaid, she would have a child through the handmaid. So Abram and Sarah, or Abram and Hagar got together and Ishmael was born. And then as soon as it happened, Sarah realized it was a bad mistake. They did the wrong thing. But God blessed Ishmael anyway because he was a descendant of Abraham. But Isaac, the one who was the descendant of Abraham and Sarah, He was the son of promise. Elsewhere, he's called thine only son because he's the only one that came from Abraham and Sarah, or Abram and Sarai. And so now, Abram takes Ishmael and all that were born in his house, all that were bought with money, every male among the men of Abraham's house. Verse 23, And they circumcised the flesh of their foreskin the same day as God had said unto him. And Abraham was 90 years old and nine when he was circumcised. And Ishmael was 13 years old when he was. And the same day they were each circumcised. And all the men of his house, born in his house, and bought with money of a stranger, were circumcised with them. That was a sign of the covenant. And Abraham was a man of faith because he responded to the Lord by faith. Now, as we have seen in human history from Adam to Abraham, we have a natural tendency to drift away from God. They didn't just do that back then. It happens today. Uh, Bible college professors that challenged and encouraged me when I was going through school have walked away from the Lord. A pastor that uh, spoke to my heart, God used him greatly, a youth worker that really helped me when I was a new believer, they've walked away from the Lord. A pastor who was a prominent evangelical pastor has said, he's turned away from God, doesn't believe the Bible, nothing. How can that happen? It's called drift and you can drift away. There is no status quo. You're either moving closer to the Lord or you're moving away. You can't just stay still. If you think you're stationary, you're losing ground. So, you cannot follow God accidentally. You can only follow Him intentionally. If you're not choosing to follow God you will drift away. That's human nature. That's what the Bible teaches. So you need to trust Him in every circumstance every day. You need to listen to Him through the Word and through His Holy Spirit. You need to obey Him. Obey what you know, the Bible says. You don't know everything. Nobody knows the whole Bible. Jesus was the only one who walked on the planet who fully understood the mind, heart, and will of the Father. Everybody else knows part of it and we can get, grow more, but the most important part is obey what you do know. Don't just have head knowledge like the Pharisees, let it go all the way out. Like the scripture says, work out your own salvation. It starts on the inside and then work it out through your whole body so that you're following God. Uh, obey Him and worship Him on your own every day and with others regularly. And as Abram reminds us, you are never too old to respond to the Lord by faith. Anyone in here older than 99? Abraham was 99 when he responded to the Lord by faith. And you can too. So, What do we learn from Abraham? Our world's a mess. From Adam to Abraham, great, great mountain peaks and horrible valleys. Dark times. And we know we can choose to follow God no matter what. And you have to do it on purpose. And if you fall on your face, disbelieving God, you could correct your way and get up and obey him. We're going to sing a hymn called Only Trust Him. This hymn talks about our need to trust in the Lord, to follow him. And maybe there's something going on in your life where you're not intentionally following the Lord. Maybe you're, you're not even aware that you were drifting away, but you think about it, maybe you are. Maybe there's something you need to correct. Maybe you have trusted Christ as your Savior, and you're happy you're on your way to heaven, but you've never followed him in baptism, which was a command that Christ gave as a testimony of your salvation. And maybe you have uh, followed him in baptism, but you haven't lived up to it. You need to correct your life back. Uh, Maybe you haven't been guiding your kids to follow the Lord as intentionally as you should. We'll be looking at that tonight, leaving a legacy of faith. I hope you can join us at 6 o'clock tonight for that. And and maybe there's something you need to do today. Maybe it's just, you know, God, I, I think I'm doing okay right now, and I thank you for that, and I thank you for your grace, and help me not to drift away. But there needs to be a prayer in your heart as you look to the Lord. And so we're going to very quietly, you can bow your heads. You don't have to bow your heads. You can close your eyes. You can keep them open. Uh, Kathy's going to play. Yeah. Kathy's going to play through this song. We're going to think about God. Think about what He might want in our hearts and in our lives. And after she plays through this song another time, and we're quiet, then we'll sing together. So you turn your heart toward God. stand as we sing.